You can have your bulletins open. We'll turn there soon enough. But we have been thinking about the obedience. How obedience is not antithetical to the gospel proclamation. It's not. If you emphasize obedience before conversion, that's not good. But for those of you who have been born again, those of you who are justified, naturally the good works will flow as you obey. So all of us, we need to grow in obedience to God's commandments. And that's the only way that you will enjoy Christian life for the rest of your life. Otherwise, all of these, let's say, programs or pastors telling you, let's do this, do that, do this, all of that, they, they, they become nuisance to you. But as you realize, Christ obeyed. So we are united to Christ, so we obey. So make sure you are growing in obedience to Christ, and then you will re realize and enjoy the freedom of the gospel of Christ. So I'm going to talk about today one more time and next Sunday another one and we'll wrap it up. Growing up, I've told you once, but I've never had an issue with the reality of God ever since I was a child. People struggle in different ways. That was not my struggle. I remember when I was a first grader in Seoul, in my home church, first grader. After the worship, Sunday school was being held in the class, that worship room for us. We had about 50, 60 kids. But I remember I was the only one sitting down in front of my Sunday school teacher. I still remember his name, Sung Dong Kim. Rest of the kids were running around like crazy. I remember looking around and I thought, how childish, <laughs> running around, messing around in Sunday school. So I never had that problem. But my problem was that it never really touched my heart. I will understand I have never questioned God's existence. I was sure that God was there somewhere. But nobody really carefully explained about Christ when I, th when I think about it now why Christ came, how Christ was God, man, all of those things, I've never really heard anything like that. So when you begin to read the Bible, what happens for some of you? If you do not doubt that God exists and so on, you read and you read. But some people will question because as soon as you turn to Genesis, you will read about God's creation. God speaks one, two, three, four, and you cannot believe it. Some people cannot believe it. Oh, this is. And then we, what you read is about the snake. What, and then what you read about is man's fall. And then a few chapters later, what you read about is the great flood. So up to Genesis 11, 
some people, I would say most of the people, they struggle. They struggle with this one question. Is this true? Is this true account? Is this historical true account? The veracity of the account. Is it true? Did it really happen as it is described in the Bible would be the major question for many, many people. Then you pass those chapters and what you read for the rest of the Old Testament, the majority, 90% of it is what? History. Rest of them, I understand there are some poems and, and some of the prophecies and so on. But the majority of the Old Testament account would be what? Historical narrative. First Samuel, Second Samuel, or before that, Judges, Ruth, Daniel, David's story, and kings and queens, and uh, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and the destruction of both kingdoms, and so on. So during that time, it is basically history book. You are reading history, and I, I don't know if you have read Quran. I've told you already once, if you pick up and read Quran, what is missing is that history. That's the major, major difference between the Bible and the rest of any kind of religious book. Most of them, they do not have history, historical account, stretched out for about thousands of years. You don't, you don't see that. You have stories or uh, some of the proverbs and things like that. But our book, the Bible, is basically the history. So you read, you read. But again, people question. People question whether donkey actually spoke. People question whether the Red Sea crossing really happened. Plagues in Exodus, did it really happen? So people are asking, so in the Old Testament, this is what happens. You are reading basically historical account, but it is, they are punctuated by, the, by God's intervention. And when God intervenes, what happens? There are miracles. So people are asking, okay, I read historical account and question. Question. That's what you do. If you question most of, or if not the... Um, the entire account of the Old Testament, I don't think you could claim yourself to be a Christian. Because difference between the non-believing heart and the born-again heart is the belief or faith. So if you are born again through the Holy Spirit, all of the things that you have looked at uh, with the questions, is it really true? It kind of dissolves in your heart. And that is described by the Westminster Confession. And let me read that to you. See if you could nod at this statement. Oh, that's me. Oh, that describes my view. See if that is true, okay? This is the account from the first chapter of the Holy Scriptures. And this is what happens to the heart that now is regenerated and born again supernaturally. You didn't change. Your intellectual capacity didn't change. But the only thing that changed is your heart, and now you have faith 
to see the Bible as it is, and it describes in this way the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. It is circular reasoning. You believe the Bible to be God's word because it is the word of God. But, Holy Spirit has changed your heart, and the next paragraph read, reads like this. There are many evidences that prove itself to be the Word of God, yet, notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Holy Spirit gives you that assurance that the Bible is the Word of God. You do not study, 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 and you, you, draw, you do not draw logical conclusion that it is the Word of God, but it is the main Activity of the Holy Spirit to change your heart to be assured of the infallibility of the truth of the Bible. But how does it happen? According to the fathers in the faith, it does not happen when you are walking in the park or engaging in some kind of activity. But Holy Spirit works by and with the Word. Yes, Holy Spirit could work in whatever manner He chooses to work. But the ordinary way that Holy Spirit convinces you that the Bible is the Word of God is with the Word. So what that means, as Martin Luther said, for you to be converted, you must be under the preaching of the Word. Though you may not believe at this time today, but because the Holy, Holy Spirit uses the Word as you remain here, you have humanly speaking, greater possibility to be influenced by the Word so that the Holy Spirit could use the Word as a spirit, spirit, a sword of the Spirit, to cut your stony heart and make that heart, make, a, make it alive. So that is the view. So I don't know if this describes your heart. I don't know if you could say, yes, there were times that I questioned it, but not anymore. Because now I truly believe, I really cannot explain how that happened, but now I believe what the Bible teaches to be true and the truth. But all of these activities that I've described regarding the Old Testament accounts, they pale in comparison to the greatest mystery of all. What is it? The Incarnation. Did God create everything by speaking things into being in the span of six days? Did, it, did the serpent really came and spoke? Donkey, Exodus, did it really happen? When you come to the New Testament, now there's the greatest mystery 
that apart from the Holy Spirit, no living can believe. That is, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it is, in a sense, that it is an exercise. You may not believe on the very first day when you read the Bible. You question. But because the Holy Spirit uses the Word as you read, as you listen, as you meditate, as you pray, Holy Spirit uses that Word that you are reading and maybe doubting to convince and change your heart. But once that happens, you will say with the confession, I believe it is all truth because it is God speaking from within. So even all of the New Testament truth, God becoming man, that's, that's the greatest mystery. If that could have happened, resurrection, ascension, return, Christ, it's easy. But God becoming man, that is the most profound mystery of, of it all. But now, I'll say one more before I look at the scriptures. All I want to do today is very simple. Once you have that born again heart, by that time you believe the Bible to be true. And as you now live your Christian life, there is one more thing that you must do. The things that you have been doing, the things that I've been describing, but you must apply the same principle. A few weeks ago, the tech company unveiled something looks like goggle. I don't know if you have seen it. And I'm pretty sure by next year we will see people walking around with it, wearing goggle, and, and, and do all kinds of stuff in the airport, and that, that, that's going to be a new, new norm. I once put that, something like that on before here in this church, and you put that on and actually it looks it looks good. You know, 3D life comes alive, and, and it was amazing. It was like five years ago. But I am sure what's ahead of us will be uh, not good for us. And they are creating probably virtual reality. This is what I want to say today. Christians, you put on that goggle. That is the Bible. Once you put that born-again heart and you see the world through that goggle of truth, the Bible, what you will see through the lens of the Bible will be the ultimate truth. Isn't that true? So Christian's responsibility is, until you die, you must see the world and yourself through the lens of the Bible, as they are described in the Bible, because we believe that to be the ultimate reality. What do you see? What you see in the world, the things that you read about, well, it is reality, but it is not the ultimate reality. Because you cannot see God, you cannot see Holy Spirit, you cannot see all of that. But God is alive and God is still working out His redemptive plan until Christ returns. What are you supposed to do? What do we do? What are we, what are we going to do until Christ returns? That is, we live and by looking at 
the world through the lens. And this is what I want to do. I'm just going to read and comment, but I hope this God will use. Look at Gal- Galatians 2.20. Look, look, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 is the goggle that you are putting on right now. And what does it say? This is the reality. I have been crucified with Christ. Already happened. I, you, have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live is in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. False reality is that those of you who have put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation True reality, okay? This is true reality. This is not poetic description. This is not subjunctive. This this is some kind of future hopeful statement. But this is the truth. You may be a 14-year-old kid, but if you believe Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible describes your present reality in this way. You have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Your old sinful self is dead on the cross. Let's go a little deeper. What does that mean? It means your wandering heart that has been crucified. Your rebellious heart has been crucified. Your intellectual capacity that often rebelled against God or doubted God they have been crucified. Old heart, old intellect, old affection, and old will that you've been obeying, sin, death, Satan, the devil, the world, they have been all crucified. That's what it means. So it is no longer I who live. It is no more Sam or Sam but it is Christ who lives in me. That's the reality today for you. Dead to sin, alive for the obedience leading to righteousness. So you live by faith. That's the reality. Let's look at the second reality. Second reality today is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if that's you, a new creation, the old things have passed away, passed away, behold, new things have come. According to this reality goggle, what it describes is that if you are in Christ, that's if you have confessed Christ, if you say you are a believer in Christ, you are a new creation. Just a few more, few things here. Depending on your translation, like NASB, translation would be, he is a new creature. But this translation is new creation. 
They are correct. Both are correct. But when you say new creature, it sounds like you became a new man. You say, I'm a new man. I'm no longer an old Sam, but I'm a new Sam. But when you translate it into a new creation, the scope of it is expanded. It is not confined to moralistic change only. But what is describing with the second half of that verse is that Christ's resurrection ushered in a new age. So you are a new creature, and that is why you belong to a new age. You are a new creation that belongs not to an old age, but new age. But once again, going into narrow scope, that you are a new creature, what does that mean? If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are not being remolded. You are not being reshaped. You are not being reformed by education. No. When you are in Christ, when your heart is converted, you are new creation. A whole new thing not from the old lump of the mud, but this is a totally new thing, newly minted, newly created. So when you are newly created, what do you have? First one was you are crucified. All things, they were crucified. But now it declares you are a new creation. Then you have new will, new affection, new intellect. So your CPU is new. That is why you are able to obey God. Because you are a new creation. The last thing really is this, the rest. Look at the block that I have given you from 518 to 21. What we just read is 17. So there is connection. You are a new creation, but he does not say... The Holy Spirit does not say that's all you have. You are a new creation. But it describes what it means to be a new creation. And I want you to put on the goggle one last time and to see your life, whether this to be the true or not for you and for your life. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and following. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here it is. I want you to notice this. And gave in the past tense. Gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Gave him only, Apostle Paul? No. All of you who are in Christ, new creation, God has given you something. What is it? It is not merely justification. It is not merely that, oh, guess what, guys? You guys are going to heaven. Enjoy your life here, and next life, you, you are good. But what does God say? Through the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, God has given you a ministry. I looked it up, the word ministry, to see what that word means. It's basically diakonia. You know what that means? Serving. And it is rightly translated as ministry. 
So we do not stop with the fact that, wow, I am new something. But because God has done it for you, basically reconciling you to God through Christ, that's why you are new. Because you are attached to Christ. But God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. So my really final question would be, do you do that ministry? Or do you feel anxious? Or do you feel resentful when I say, you must do the ministry? Do I, do I sound like legalistic preacher to you? Well, the reality that is describing, the Bible is describing for you is these things. You have been crucified. You're dead. You are dead. But we sin. So that's next week. But we do not start with the examples or our own experiences. Because the things that I've been describing, to be a Christian is to believe whatsoever is taught in the Bible. Period. You do not pick and choose. You, you do not have that choice. You believe because you trust God to be the truth. And He loves you. He has given you His Son. So all things that are taught in the Bible, I believe and you say, wow, amen to that. And it is, yes, training and it is a struggle because we still sin. But you have been crucified. You are a new creation. But the last thing is that you have God-given ministry of reconciliation. How do you do that? You proclaim the gospel of Christ to the people who need to be reconciled to God or otherwise they will end up in, well, hell. So we are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20, as God is pleading through us to other people. You go. You are an ambassador. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And verse 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be seen on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I hope today was very concise. I didn't do, try to do much. But I want you to know the reality. It is already this. Not yet fully, but already you may have questioned, but I still sin. I don't think I'm dead, spiritually, that, that old self. But you have to believe what Bible is describing. So once again, you are dead to your sins and old self. You are a new creation, not reshaped with the old thing, but totally new thing. But that's not the end. We do the ministry of reconciliation, and God sends you. God sends you to wherever that God leads you providentially this week. So let us be faithful and obey these things because God has given you new hearts. Let's pray.